and the Academy Award for Best Picture. La La Land. Welcome to the Cardinals off day, all-star break spectacular. Um, I'm Ben Godar with you, uh, as always, along here with Ben Humphrey. Uh, this being our all-star break spectacular, uh, Ben and I are dressed to the nines. Uh, very black tie affair here. Uh, ben, you're looking wonderful. How are you feeling today? Uh, I'm feeling good. I always enjoy the All-Star break and all of the festivities from the Futures game, uh, which featured a couple of Cardinals, and that's always fun, uh, to the Home Run Derby, which I thought was uh, quite enjoyable, uh, to the game itself, um, which, with the rise of pitching, is not quite as much fun uh, as it used to be. Uh, but it's it's always just kind of a fun di- diversion in the middle of the season from the grind of the 162-game season. You just kind of get to bask in, in the fun that baseball can be, uh, in my opinion. And on top of that, we even had Manfred come in and say the zombie runners are going away, the seven-inning doubleheaders are probably going away. You know, so there was also some some good news uh, as well in terms of the long term uh, viewing experience of Major League Baseball. So, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing well today. Now, Ben, I, I, I'm only going to call a little bit of bullshit on you here because I believe you said you enjoy all of the festivities festivities of All Star Weekend. So, would that include the uh, celebrity rock and jock softball? Oh, I that also something I you forgot enjoy about Dan Cortez and Dean Payne <laughs> play softball. <laughs> Uh, I had forgotten about the the celebrity softball game. Um, I don't watch that at all. I mean, the uh, festivities that involve actual uh, Major League Baseball players, uh, even when they're wearing, uh, frankly, pretty ugly Nike uniforms. Uh, I didn't know what they were going for with that design before the game. Uh, admittedly, jerseys almost always look better on the field on actual baseball players than they do on a website when you're trying to buy them uh, or just look at them to ridicule them on Twitter. And uh, the uniforms look better mm-hmm. on, on your television set than they do on your computer screen. Um, but it kind of got me to thinking if they're going to go away from what I have always loved, which is all of the players uh, on the away league team wearing their grays and all of the players on the uh, home league teams wearing their uh, home whites. Uh, I feel like they should really like do something that's even more different uh, than what Nike did this year. Like not actually have Mm -hmm. grays or whites like do like different colors and uh, maybe more of the city series and its feel uh, for the city that is hosting. Um, and, uh, but, but that being said, uh, it was a lot of fun and, uh, Henrik's being mic'd up. You know, I caught some of that video here today of him just, you know, swearing as he's throwing a hundred miles an hour. Uh, the the whole thing, I, I just find it to be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, uh, I enjoyed some some all star festivities. It was a nice nice little diversion. Um, but uh, today, since we've got this nice long all star break and uh, off day breaks are kind of our thing, uh, we thought we would take some time to uh, look back at the first half of the season and look ahead as well at the second half of the season. So we, we usually kind of frame things around you know what did we learn, what are we looking for, and that's going to be kind of our whole focus today. So we're not going to call that out on its own. Um, but instead, we're going to start by looking back at the first half of the season. And uh, the way we're going to do that, and this, again, is why Ben and I are, and I cannot emphasize this enough, wearing full tuxedos, uh, really, really looking sharp, both of us. Uh, we're going to give out some awards. So uh, Ben, would you like to kick things off with your first award for the first half of the year? Uh, yes. Uh, my first award for the first half of the year, it's a very prestigious award, the Cardinals off day award uh, for uh, our inaugural episode of all-star break awards. The first award that we are going to give is the uh, Aaron Miles Award for Empty Batting. Uh, 
And the winner of that award, uh, no one will be surprised to learn, is Tommy Edmond. And before anyone cries foul, I want you to know that uh, I have a lot of respect for Aaron Miles. Uh, if you are able to track down the ESPN article or post on Aaron Miles uh, defeating a kidnapper in a hostage situation while having his hands zip tied, uh, you should 100% do so. Uh, he saved Morgan Ensberg's life and probably yeah. his own. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're ever kidnapped at gunpoint, Aaron Miles is who you want on your side. Uh, now, that being said, uh, in my writing about baseball at the major league level, and I readily confess Aaron Miles, Tommy Edmond, everyone we talk about is probably close to 100 or 200 times better at baseball than I could ever hope to be. I mean, this is the the upper one half of 1% of baseball players uh, in the world. Uh, now, that being said, I think I once referred to Aaron Miles as a dull and rusty utility knife that you can't use the knife itself to cut. The tweezers are rusted together, so you cannot pluck anything. And the toothpick is covered in mud, so you <laughs> cannot use it. Um, and the reason is uh, Aaron Miles didn't really do anything well. He could not field particularly well. Uh, his ability as a quote-unquote utility infielder to play shortstop was to take his glove and go stand at the position in a ready position uh, before he took a couple steps and let a ground ball go by him. Uh, and he was also not a good hitter. Um, and so uh, I just wanted to share this information with everyone, that for his career, Aaron Miles hit for a 281 batting average, a 320 on base percentage, a 352 slugging percentage, and a 297 weighted on base average. And that worked out to a 75 weighted runs created plus because uh, he played in, a, in an offensively more productive era than Tommy Edmond. Tommy Edmond, for comparison, in 2021 is hitting 258, which is admittedly far below Aaron Miles, a 299 on base percentage, which again, way below Aaron Miles, a 371 slugging, which is a little bit better. Uh, but that all works out in this day and age to a 294 weighted on base average or an 86 weighted runs created plus. And the reason he's doing that uh, is compared to his 2019 breakout season and the league as a whole, his launch angle has gone way down. He hits a lot of ground balls and as a result uh, is not a very productive hitter. Uh, in fact, he's so unproductive, there's a running joke in Ben and my and our friend Dan's uh, text messages about Cardinals games that going one for four with a single is a Tommy Edmond. While a, a few weeks ago, the St. Louis uh, media establishment finally got around to maybe saying that Edmond should not be a leadoff hitter. I want everyone to know that the Cardinals off day podcast position is not that Edmund is not a leadoff hitter. It is that Edmund is not an everyday player. He is a utility player who should only play against left-handed pitchers. And as a late inning sort of fielding closer or pinch runner, uh, when you need a run to score. And so, Tommy Edmond, congratulations. You are the inaugural winner of the Aaron Miles Empty Batting Award here at Cardinals Off Day for your first half performance in the 2021 season. Congratulations. Absolutely. Uh, Tommy Edmond could not be with us today to accept his award. Um, however, we do have uh, Aaron Miles here to accept. No, oh, I'm sorry. I'm being told that Aaron Miles is currently being held hostage somewhere. So we'll accept it on, uh, on Tommy's behalf. And our thoughts, our thoughts and prayers go out to the hostage takers. Uh, the hostage takers? Oh, that's right. Because yes, because they're in trouble here right. in a minute. Uh, <laughs> kind of like terrorists trying to take over somewhere that John McClain is located. Aaron Miles has a very uh, particular set of skills. I think is what we're trying to say. <laughs> yes, uh, they don't. They don't involve baseball, but he does have a particular set of skills. <laughs> uh, well, I, uh, I I'm going to go ahead and give out the second award of the day. And uh, I am giving out the Thank God We Held On to That Guy Award. Uh, and uh, this is a award that uh, 
cannot be given out real often with the Cardinals because over the last few years, the narrative has really been uh, kind of all the guys that this uh, have, have been part of this organization and have been traded or otherwise found their way elsewhere and and kind of seem to, uh, if not always in actuality, you know, blossom and perform well elsewhere. Uh, but that's not always the case. And so I'm giving out the thank God we held on to that guy award to Tyler O'Neill because as disappointing as uh, some of the personnel decisions that the Cardinals have made uh, over the last few years have been, uh, I am really glad that they held on to Tyler O'Neill. And I think he's kind of finally showing uh, some some real results from that. So just to give us a little bit of framework here, um, cast your minds back to a magical time called 2018, okay? In 2018, at least at the start of 2018, the Cardinals in their system had Randy Rosarina, Adolis Garcia, Oscar Mercado, and Tyler O'Neill. Okay. Um, as we know, over the next. Uh, and Tommy Edmond. And, and Tommy Edmond. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot. As long as I'm listing outfielders, I guess I have to. Do Tom <laughs> Edmund, so. No. <laughs> um, no and I'm, yes. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you got the joke. Yes. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, and, you know, and of course, you know, and Lane Thomas is there as well. And, and uh, you know, there's some other guys there who are still around or past there. But I'm going to focus on those four because all four of those guys are uh, have, have, you know, become regular major league players by, by this point in time. Some of them for, you know, two to three years um, in the case of Adolis Garcia, really just kind of coming to the fore this year. So um, there's those four guys. And um you know, Mercado after a hot start kind of cooled a little bit more. So I don't, I don't hear so much frustration about him, but we definitely still have a lot of heartburn about a Rosarena. And, you know, I, I could say watching Adolis Garcia hit that double in the all-star game, you know, was a, a little bit of a slap in the face, but all that said, I think if they had it all to do over and go back and they could only keep one of those guys, of course they could have kept more and that's kind of the problem, but we're focusing on the, the positive here. I think Tyler O'Neill was the right player for them to keep. And um, it's, you know, it's kind of bearing out this year. So I went back and I, you know, I looked at these guys. Now, all all three of them or three of them are 26 years old. Oscar Mercado is actually 28 this year. So they're all about, uh, you know, the same age. Um, again, as I said, a little bit of variation in terms of their uh, playing time so far. But O'Neill has uh, more MLB war than any of them. OK, he's the leader there. O'Neill um, has the highest OPS plus here in 2021 of any of them. Um, and in this season, in terms of wins above replacement, he's almost at the top. Uh, he's slightly behind Adolis Garcia. And really, that's only a plate appearance thing because, uh, you know, O'Neill missed some time being injured. So, uh, you know, I think just focusing in on that OPS plus side of things, Tyler O'Neill is the best hitter out of that group. And um, and I realize we're talking some somewhat narrow windows here. You could suggest there's some smallish sample size here. That's fair, but I think we're getting a, a fairly good kind of picture of who these guys are, what to you know, kind of what to expect. And um, I expect Tyler O'Neill is going to continue to have the most value going forward. You know, if if he's producing the most offensively with that OPS plus. Um, that just clearly puts him out in front because he's a better defender than any of these uh, other guys are. I mean, he's won a gold glove for crying out loud. Uh, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, which, which I say somewhat derisively because, of course, sometimes gold gloves aren't always indicative. But, but Tyler O'Neill is an excellent defensive left fielder, and Tyler O'Neill is an excellent base runner. So Tyler O'Neill creates value all over the place. I think he's going to continue to create value. I think, um, again, I think – uh, some things could have been done differently. I certainly wouldn't mind a, an outfield of Randy Rosarina, Dolas Garcia, and Tyler O'Neill. I feel like I could, uh, I could make my peace with that. And and there's a lot of ways that more of these pieces could have been kept by the organization. But uh, I am glad they kept Tyler O'Neill, and that's why he is the winner of the "Thank God We Held On to That Guy" award. And uh, standing ovation here in in Cardinals Off Day Podcast Studio uh, for. Tyler O'Neill. Um, I would also add, if we're, if we're going back to 2018, really the decision to trade away uh, Tommy Pham also has to be considered. Yeah. And then to kind of clear the decks for Harrison Bader. Yeah. Then uh, when O'Neill was injured, 
uh, and had the opportunity to play in 2019, uh, Mike Schilt and the Cardinals front office allowed him to do this, chose to play Tommy Edmond <laughs> over Randy Arozarena. You're, uh, you're pulling us back to a dark place here, Ben. <laughs> well, yeah, but which is just, it's one of the worst decisions that I think uh, management of a major league team has made uh, this side of the Nolan Arenado trade for the Colorado Rockies. <laughs> and I just can't wrap my head around it. Uh, but that being said, and when we had uh, Kyle on the podcast, we were talking about podcasts, seeing Tyler O'Neill in AAA, you, you would watch him play and you would think to yourself, this is like a total package major ligger. Like he can do it all. Um, you know, he, but that swing and miss in his game was the question mark. And it was a big question mark. And uh, we had talked earlier uh, when he had a walk rate below 2%, <laughs> uh, how he was basically a video game created player and his stats uh, were so weird uh, and hard to really process. Uh, but I was reading the athletic uh, Ichiro oral history and uh, one of Ichiro's teammates told the anecdote of how he was struggling because the front office had told him that he wanted to walk, so he was taking more pitches. And then Ichiro said, no, no, no. You rake, then they walk you. <laughs> and that's what we're <laughs> that's literally what we're seeing yeah. with Tyler O'Neill. He came out and he raked, and now uh, after uh, him doing that, pitchers are being more careful with him and he's maintaining his discipline and he's beginning to draw walks and it's good to see. Yeah. I just pulled up his page and he actually, right now he's up to a 6% walk rate. Uh, and actually he has an exactly 6% walk rate and an exactly 6% home run rate, which is just nuts. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, this is like the opposite of the Albert Pujols. Will he hit more home runs than he has strikeouts? Uh, it's will he hit more home runs than he has walks? So, uh, Ben, what is uh, what's your next award to give out? Uh, my next award is uh, for outstanding leadership in the field of hitting. And it goes uh, to a certain major league hitting coach who was hired to change the entire organization's hitting approach, uh, Mr. Albert. And, uh, and the reason that I am doing this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, uh, but it's also because I feel like most of the focus when it comes to hitting is at the major league level. And I totally understand why. The only standings that count are the major league standings. So the only hitting that is in most folks' minds is the major league hitting. And it has not been good this year, and I'm not here to tell you that it has been. Um, but the Cardinals hired him to revamp hitting for the whole organization. Uh, he started for 2019. 2020, the minor league season was canceled, so there's really no body of work there. Uh, but here in 2021, uh, we're beginning to see a bit more of a body of work. And uh, in particular, in Springfield, but also in Palm Beach, you know, you have top prospects like Jordan Walker, uh, who is hitting 374, 475, 687 for a 1162 OPS for Palm Beach before he was promoted. He's the Baseball America MVP for the system. Uh, for the first half, Mosellock said he, you know, he basically hits like Albert Pujols uh, at a ball. And, you know, how much credit do you give the, the change in approach for the organization to hitting for Walker? And I don't know the answer to that, you know, Mason Wynn is also putting together some good numbers uh, for Palm beach. Uh, and, you know, how much credit, you know, the 278 batting average, the 383 on base percentage, the 420 slugging percentage while playing shortstop. How much do you give to the major league hitting coach and revamping the philosophy for that? You know, you go to double A. Nick Plummer, former first round draft pick, uh, he's hitting 302, 402, 492 for an 894 OPS. Alec Burleson, 
three, uh, excuse me, 306, 352, 526, 878. Nolan Gorman in double A before he was promoted, 288, 354, 508, 862. And uh, Herrera, Ivan Herrera has, uh, has a low batting average. Uh, he has not hit as well. You know, I, I want to be sure to mention the bad with the good. But the reality is that a lot of the top hitting prospects in the Cardinals system are performing up to or exceeding uh, expectations entering this season. And, uh, you know, when you read this coverage, it's all about major league hitters. And to be sure, that is important. But I think that we need to keep in mind what the Cardinals hired uh, him to do and what some of the returns are down in the minors. Because, you know, your your starting second baseman on opening day next year very well could be Nolan Gorman. And you probably have to give, you know, Albert at least a little bit of credit for that. And then you look at the guys who are also coming up the pipeline and could be joining the Cardinals soon. And, and there's a lot of reason for optimism that you could have four or five major league regulars down on the farm right now. Yeah. And, and they're climbing the system on the strength that they're hitting. And how much credit do we give to a change in organizational approach to hitting development? And I feel like a lot of the, the coverage has not given enough consideration to this minor league performance amongst the prospects. Well, I'm reminded here of a famous quote from uh, the late uh, Donald Rumsfeld. And uh, what's the opposite of rest in peace? I think that's what I want to say here. But, um, you know, he kind of famously said, uh, talked about how we have uh, we have known knowns and we have unknown knowns and we have known unknowns. And I think he kept combining those two words for about another eight minutes. But I'm reminded of that anytime I start to think about what's the effect of any coach anywhere in a baseball organization, because I feel like we're dealing with some combination of those, of those things. And so it's just always almost impossible to say what, what, what is it you're seeing and, you know, to what credit or, or, you know, detriment or whatnot, does that reflect back on the hitting coach? Um, But I think you've made a great, I think you made a great case. Um, To me, a guy like Nick Plummer is probably the most, um, you know, the, the best potential piece of evidence there, because that's a guy who's been in the system for a little while and hadn't, you know, had not lived up at all to what they kind of hoped he did. You know, we see kind of a, you know, a little bit of a turnaround there, but um, you know, but you're right. There's, there's a lot of good production from those guys. Now, is that, is that because of Albert's philosophy or is that just, you know, especially with, you know, Walker and Wynn, I mean, hell, those guys could just be really good hitters, <laughs> but um, but well, course, yeah. it's, it's, you know, if we're going to be critical of Jeff Albert, and I certainly am. And again, I'm in favor of firing all coaches. So I still am in favor of, of firing, you know, Jeff Albert among any, anyone else. Um, you know, something like that has to be taken into account. And you do get into a little bit of a point, I think, where you have to, I don't want to say you have to defer to the organization, but you have to recognize that there's things that they can see internally that we just can't see. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the, the other dynamic in play is, you know, we don't know what the issues are in terms of interactions between him and Major League batters. Like Harrison Bader has been pretty vocal that he doesn't believe in any of the newfangled stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll see how that plays out over the rest of this year and next year. I mean, I, I will be honest, you know, I, I am not a big believer in Harrison Bader offensively and uh this year there's a lot of indications that he has turned things around but i'm interested to see if they they maintain over the course of the season um but you also have at the major league level you have tyler o'neill uh who i i think qualifies as a success now i think that carlson is kind of a mixed bag um i don't think he's hitting the way that they had hoped he would um certainly not the way uh, i anticipated he would hit this year, uh, speaking personally. Um, but then you have, you have an Arenado who's been working with Albert. He's an all-star. He's been everything advertised and more, but how much of that is Albert and how much of that is Arenado? Goldschmidt, how much of that is Goldschmidt and how much of that is Albert? 
uh, Yachty, how much of that is Yachty and how much of that is Albert, um, you know, Edmund, how much, you know, Edmund says he doesn't prepare for games. He doesn't make in-game adjustments uh, while he's airing discussion from a clubhouse meeting. Uh, you know, how Albert can't make Edmund read a scouting report. Albert can't make Edmund make in-game uh adjustments if he could edmund might not have won the aaron miles award for empty hitting <laughs> Call back, callbacks earlier in the award show there yeah <laughs> yes uh and so it's uh it is there are a bunch of uh unknown unknowns uh to bring it back to rumsfeld when you're looking at all of this um and so it will be interesting to see how the cardinals approach the major league hitting coach uh, position for the rest of this year and next year. Um, but they have always been kind of a long-term process oriented front office. Yeah. And so I would be surprised given the overall level of hitting in the organization. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is the Cardinals have a lot of young players for their level uh, at every level this year. And so, you know, I've seen some people throwing around like the win loss records and those types of things and um, and to a degree, that's concerning. But you also have to look at, you know, if you've got a bunch of kids who you're being pretty aggressive with in terms of where they are and, and how they're performing uh, or where they are in terms of the organization, you know, you're probably going to take some lumps there. Yeah. And uh, so far, anyway, the the top of the prospect lists are performing pretty well and i think that needs that needs to be taken into consideration as well as the major league performance and maybe they need to adjust things with what albert's role is uh and bring someone else in Um, yeah but but i was i was intentionally being a little bit tongue-in-cheek with this award because i feel like most of the analysis is giving little to no mention of the overall portfolio that the cardinals gave albert and what are the results within all of those areas which includes the minors as well as the majors yeah yeah i know i think i think you make a strong case i remain pretty pretty skeptic um i feel like it's just been so long since we saw somebody come to the cardinals and and be better (laughs) you know (laughs) be better than they were before be better than we thought they were going to be frankly that's true on the hitting and the pitching side both but um so anyway i have some skepticism but i think you make a good point and those those minor league um those guys are really excelling in the minor league are not to be not to be dismissed so uh so who knows who knows uh I am going to give out, I believe this is our last award of, uh, of this segment here. So this is kind of the, uh, this is the best picture award or in, you know, this year, this is the uh, best actor award. Um, and this award I'm giving out the Hunter S Thompson edge award. Okay. And, and this award is so named for a very famous quote from Hunter S Thompson from his book, Hell's Angels. Uh, he wrote the edge. There's no honest way to explain it. Because the only people who really know where it is are the ones who have gone over. And I and it goes on from there. But I've always thought that was just really beautifully put. And for a man who really spent his life exploring where that edge is, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's certainly uh, someone who's, uh, let's put it this way. I take Hunter S. Thompson's word when it comes to where the edge is and what it means to go to the edge. So, um, so you're asking yourself who in this system is going to be awarded the Hunter S. Thompson Edge Award well, I'm going a little bit outside of the the system itself, and I'm actually going all the way to the top, and I am giving this award to Bill DeWitt Jr. Bill DeWitt Jr., I think this year, has successfully found the edge. Um, and to me, uh, it's been clear for years that, and I've joked and I've said things like, you know, the the Cardinals are scientifically formulated in a lab to win 88 games, right? Um, and I'm only joking uh, a little bit, uh, you know, since 2008, which was the last, uh, 2007 was the last time they finished below 500. Okay. So since 2008, the Cardinals record has been anywhere between 86 and a hundred games, uh, and a hundred wins. And that hundred win was a little bit of an outlier. That is an insanely tight cluster of, of results. You're not going to find an organization in baseball over a stretch that long, especially right now in this time in baseball, 
with, um, you know, that's that similar. And, and it tells you a couple of things. First of all, uh, you know, part of, of, of being scientifically formulated in a lab to win 88 games means you're going to be pretty good. You're not going to, you know, you can go, uh, what is that? 14 years, something like that since, uh, 15 years, almost since you've finished below 500. Uh, but <laughs> you're also not going to have, uh, you know, many hundred win seasons, right? Um, you know, they, they generally haven't won more than about 93 throughout that stretch. And, and the reason is, uh, you know, Bill DeWitt, I think his directive to John Moseliak is to build them a team that's that, you know, right at that level. And I think the, the clear reason is that that um, keeps kind of maximum fan engagement for yep. minimum cost. I mean, that's 100% what the what the reason is. And um, another beloved uh, St. Louis owner, Stan Kroenke, has made very similar comments. I, I can't, I don't have it in front of me, but a few years back, he he made a rare public appearance and, and spoke at a kind of sports business conference. And that's exactly what he said. I happen to be an Arsenal fan, so I still get some of the Stan Kroenke bullshit floating through my life every now and then. But that's 100% what he said is basically, you know, that you maximize your value by being a competitive team. But once you're a competitive team, essentially every dollar you're spending above that is is wasted, basically. You don't see a real financial return for that. So, um you know, Cardinals fans, this is this is who we have. This is our guy. And and frankly, as owners go, we could do a lot worse because at least we're you know, at least we're competitive every year. Um, I will never pound my head into the pavement in the offseason thinking, oh, my gosh, why didn't they sign these two other gigantic free agents that could have made them like a hundred and five win juggernaut this season? They're never going to do that because that's that's his philosophy. OK, well. And it's, it's worked out really well. I think he found the edge this year. I think they tried to cut it too close this year. Yeah. And, and uh, go ahead. If you want to jump in, Ben. I'm ben. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I, I think what we have seen is uh, Bill DeWitt is, you know, one of those people in life who was born on third base. His dad was a major league owner. He grew up, you know, he's a quote unquote baseball man, all of those things. Um, you know, he's a very influential owner, a very powerful owner, and you can see how, you know, DeWalletism has trickled out throughout baseball. Um, and we talked about the Ricketts family earlier. I think the Chicago Cubs are a shining example of like DeWalletism to 11, you know, and, uh, they have Wrigleyville, which allows them to uh, be a little less competitive than the Cardinals, but the Cardinals are kind of developing their own pale imitation of Wrigleyville in Ballpark Village and one Cardinal way. And I, I think what happened this year, though, um, you know, you have never heard a story of anyone leaking something where the front office was like, we need this player you know, and DeWitt has said no. I mean, they famously had an agreement for Giancarlo Stanton, right? Mm -hmm. And Stanton said no. You know, like DeWitt is not against big ticket items. You know, he he right. carried on the negotiations with Pujols after Mosellock angered Pujols right. with his negotiating tactics. Um, and so he, there is a part of him that believes in the legacy, the brand, all of those things. That's why Adam Wainwright is back. That is why Yadier Molina is back. But I think it's very telling that uh, the front office this offseason let Colton Wong walk yeah. to clear $12 million in cap space to go get or not cap space, but cap space compared to what the budget that ownership clearly dictated was. Yeah. And, and what happened is COVID-19 hit them in the purse in 2020. They weren't sure what was going to happen in 2021 and they had a conservative budget and that's what they told Mosaic the budget was. Yeah. And uh, the Colton Wong walking and then they go and they get Yachty and Wainwright and they basically get the Rockies to pay for Arenado. But what we didn't have this offseason is the type of signings that have really defined the Mosellock 88-win lab mm -hmm. tenure, which are 
you have, you know, Mark El, you go sign Mark Ellis when you have Colton Wong ready to take over at second base. Right. So you have that depth yep. in case something goes wrong. You, you go and you sign Lance Berkman after 2011 for 2012, even though Alan Craig is seemingly ready to step in and take over as an everyday player. Right. Uh, you sign Kim as a swing man because you need uh, a six starter slash reliever entering 2020. I mean, John Moselock time and again uh, goes out and signs fairly priced veteran free agents to layer depth onto the team so that they are not dependent on young up and comers. And that is not what they did this year because of the ownership mandate on the budget. And I feel like uh, in a way, you know, going back to when they fired Jockety because he was butting heads uh, with Lunau and hired Mosellock, and it was, hey, we want to develop homegrown talent because it's cheap and that'll allow us to sign free agents. Well, the team hasn't been terribly successful signing free agents, but Colton Wong is a really good example of the success of a success story of that philosophy. But I kind of feel like DeWalletism ate its tail with Wong because they cut the $12 million three-win player mm-hmm. to plug in the up-and-comer who just won the Aaron Miles Award for empty yeah. hitting because he's not an everyday player at second base. Yeah, And they also handed that guy leadoff, and he wasn't ready. No. And so DeWalletism kind of ate its own tail, but it all, and in doing so, it kind of... Uh, completely derailed what I'm going to call Mosellockism, which is everything about John Mosellock for the last 12 years tells us he brings Colton Wong back and does not give second base to Tommy Edmond, yeah. right? Yeah. Everything about him tells us that. Right. 100%. And so, you know, that leads me to believe this is ownership saying this is your budget and it's a pretty hard number this year. I, and maybe they had a little bit of wiggle room for the legacy guys and an impact player like Arenado, but um, they are reaping what they sowed with the budget now as we approach the trade deadline. No, 100%. And I'm I, I'm dubbing this the, the curse of Colton Wong. We are now living in the curse of Colton Wong. <laughs> I'm completely serious because it, it he this is, was just such a seminal decision to me to not bring Colton Wong back. First off, it's it's only based on that just narrow financial calculus of we know Tommy Edmond is not as good as Colton Wong, but we think he might be good enough for league minimum to you know that that we'll we'll save some money, we'll you know we'll give that value up. And uh you know, Colton Wong, by the way, um, even though he's been injured for uh, a, a good stretch here, you know, he would be third on the Cardinals in terms of wins above replacement if he was still on the Cardinals. Oh, I He would it. also be second in weighted runs created plus to Tyler O'Neill. Um, and as I recall, Colton Wong played a fairly good defense as well, if I'm if uh, <laughs> if memory serves. OK, so here's the thing. If they re-sign Colton Wong which was an absolute no-brainer that they just let go for that and then did what you, I think, very aptly called Moseliakism and sign a jobber fifth starter competitor. Sign some veteran that's out there for not much money. So you've got you know six guys going into battle for five positions in spring training. Honest to God, I think this team would be you know, two, three games back of the Brewers right now. Just, just those two moves. And the the... the Wong move is a no-brainer and, you know, just bolstering what in in hindsight especially was, you know, clearly a, a thin, uh, you know, thin depth at the starting pitcher ranks. Uh, you know, th- that's really all it would take for them to kind of be where they're at. And the only reason that they're not there, that they didn't those, do those things, was because uh, Bill DeWitt Jr. was trying to figure out exactly where the edge was. And he knew that the only ones that knew where it was were the ones who have gone over, and now he has gone over and he has taken <laughs> us with him. So that is why uh, Bill DeWitt Jr. is the winner of the Hunter S. Thompson Edge Award. Ben, I believe that brings us to the end of our awards. Uh, shall we pivot to talk about the future? Yes, let's uh, let's talk about the future. Talk about because... the future, Eckhart. 
because the uh, <laughs> the uh, the trade deadline is fast approaching, and uh, we wanted to talk about even though we talked about it a little bit. Uh, last week, we wanted to get a little bit more in-depth on potential trades that the Cardinals might be considering uh, as we move to the end of the month. Yeah, and I think that um, – so when we talk about trades, and obviously it's always fun to talk about trades, to speculate about trades, to think about what trades might be out there. Um, if I could harken back to my Donald Rumsfeld quote as it relates to uh, what role coaches have – the exact same thing could be said for what we know about the world of trades. We don't know anything. We don't know who's available. We don't know. Uh, it, we're, it's really inside of a, a, a black box. So I never get too hung up on, oh, here's a specific deal the club could have. Or here's this exact kind of you know fantasy trade that I can put together. That said, it's still fun to have that discussion. And uh, Ben and I have each kind of put together a, a trade Um and I don't think either one of us thinks, oh, this is a trade that the team will absolutely make. But I think we're both going to make a case that it's it's very indicative of the type of trade that we expect they'll make. And I think that'll also kind of give us a way to say, really, what do we think they're going to do in the second half? So, um, Ben, do you want to throw yours out first? Or do you want me to throw mine? Yeah, um, I think both of us uh, used a similar approach uh, the standings this year in Major League Baseball are very stratified. There are clear playoff contenders and clear non-playoff contenders. And and so I think we both kind of looked at those non-contenders and who might they be shopping. And there are a lot of like clear players who would be upgrades. Um, and I'm not proposing this trade to exclude any of those discussions because the Cardinals will surely be monitoring the market and engaged on all of those fronts as well as these. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I looked at um, my cousin's current home state down in Arizona, and they're just so bad, I figure they're going to be trading some players. And if you've listened to some of our past episodes, you know that the Cardinals have a lot of right-handed batters, and they don't hit right-handed pitching as well as they could. And that's not a good thing, uh, but the silver lining to that problem is that you can find platoon players to upgrade you in those areas, and they're not as expensive as everyday players. Um, so I looked at Arizona. Um, I looked at who they have coming off of their books, uh, obviously a very scientific method. Uh, and, you know, I was looking at... Uh, David Peralta is going to be a free agent after 2023. Uh, and he's uh, done a good job. Um, you know, he's played primarily left field, so he's probably a corner outfielder for you. Um, and you can move Tyler O'Neill around with his speed uh, and defensive skill. Uh, but you would basically acquire Peralta to start against right-handed pitching. For his career, uh, he has hit... Uh, for a 302 batting average, a 356 on base percentage, and a 498 slugging percentage against righties. That's an isolated power of 196, works out to a 364 weighted on base average, a 125 weighted runs created plus. Um, he immediately gives you more flexibility in the outfield uh, because you can move O'Neill and Carlson around, and you can give O'Neill or Bader or Carlson the day off uh, against a right-handed pitcher and know you're going to get quality uh, offensive production when they have the day off. Um, I also was hoping that maybe the Cardinals could get the Diamondbacks to throw in, and this takes it into a little bit more of the fantasy baseball realm, uh, but Eduardo Escobar... He is, you know, an infielder uh, who can play multiple positions. He's going to be a free agent uh, in 2022. And uh, he is more of an everyday player type. Um, you know, he, he produces pretty well against left-handed uh, pitchers and right-handed pitchers. For his career, he has a 103 weighted runs created plus against lefties in a 92 weighted runs created plus against righties. Um, he's kind of like the, uh, the solution there, uh, perhaps at second base to 
increase your production. You know, if you can't get him as well, it's not a big deal because I think you can mix and match Matt Carpenter, Eduardo Sosa, and Edmund and have a pretty productive second base for the second half. Um, so Peralta would be my number one target. And if you could maybe get them to throw in Escobar, uh, that would be good as well. And, you know, given their age and how much control they have, I don't think you're going to be giving up much in terms of top prospects. You're going to be looking at uh, a, a package that's of significantly less value, you know, than, for example, what they gave away for uh, Arenado in the offseason. And uh, so Peralta would be one of my top target. And, you know, I'd probably see if there was any way to maybe get Escobar included as well. Okay. Uh, no, I, I a hundred percent agree with you. I think getting guys who, um, well, first of all, to take advantage of that platoon advantage and getting guys who are more like kind of role players that can shuffle in, that seems like the, the, a very Cardinals move. And it seems like the realistic move, you know, kind of here, uh, much more so to me than, you know, going after a, an Andrelton Simmons or a Trevor story, or, you know, even on an aspiring expiring contract, you know, somebody like that. Hey, who knows? You never know. I, I would have told you they wouldn't, uh, you know, get Nolan Arenado and then they did. So um, no, that's very interesting. Um, let me let me throw mine out and then maybe at the end we can kind of just talk more generally about what we think they, they maybe will and won't do. Um, so for my trade, um, I identified uh, Mike Miner, who uh, pitches for the Kansas City Royals now. And I say that because since Mike Miner was kind of a heralded uh, guy on the Braves a few years ago, he's a uh, you know, bounced around a little bit and, and on some crappy American league team. So you, if you didn't know, uh, so Mike Miners, uh, he's been on the Royals of late. Um, he is 33 years old. Um, he is making $10 million this season. Um, no, sorry. He's, uh, I think that is what he's making this season roughly, but he's actually, he's, uh, due $10 million next season. And then there's a 2023 club option for $13 million or a $1 million buyout. Um, Mike Miner is at this point in his career is basically, uh, an innings eater. Okay. Um, early on he was, uh, injured fairly often, but he's on his, on track this year for his fourth straight year as a, as a qualified starter. Um, so, you know, he's putting in the, you know, upper 100, uh, you know, innings pitched per year. Basically he's a guy who's been staying in your rotation the whole year. And that's really something they could use <laughs> is a, you know, a starting pitcher who would, you know, kind of be in there. Uh, is Mike Miner good? Not really, but you know, he's good enough to stay in that kind of a role. Um, I was actually interested. I haven't really looked closely at Mike Miner's stats for a while. He's kind of a, he's, he's uh, consistently a, a FIP loser. He's sort of the opposite of a FIP beater. He has a, uh, ERAs that are consistently uh, worse than his FIP. Uh, and that's this, uh, the case this year as well. He's to date, he has a 5.67 ERA, which, you know, sounds terrible. Um, but it, that's based on a, a 4.35 fielding independent pitching. And really when you look at his underlying numbers, um, you know, it, it looks like a guy who's about a, you know, f- you know, low fours, you know, ERA type pitcher. So again, you're, you know, kind of a back into the rotation, um, type guy. Um, his, his BABIP this year is 17 points above his, his uh, career average. So I think likely that's where that sort of FIP loser side of things is coming about this year. So, um, you know, Mike Miner's not a real exciting name. I don't think he's going to light Twitter on fire if the Cardinals acquire him. But he's uh, absolutely, I think, a reasonable move. Um, I think a starting pitcher is probably their their biggest need. So, um, again, I don't know if he's specifically a guy or the guy they would go after. But in my l- looking, he seemed like kind of the avatar for exactly the kind of thing that I think the club might go after. And I'll also say his contract status to me seems like the kind of guy the Cardinals would acquire as well. So, you know, I mean, would they do a rental for the rest of the year? Yeah, they might, they have, but they don't tend to really like to do that that much. And even though I think they will be uh, buyers and I'm making air quotes here, um, I think they're going to do that weird thing where they're buying, but they're also kind of just positioning themselves for next year. And minor, I think would fit really well into there. I don't see their rotation. You know, it's not like they've got, uh, you know, three or four top rotation guys that are out for the rest of this year, but they're expecting back next year. They're, they're going to need some bodies, even if you expect, you know, a Libertor um, or, you know, someone like that to, you know, uh, 
you know, come up next year, et cetera, Hudson to be back. This, they clearly need a pitcher for next year too. So I think a guy like Mike Miner, who's only owed $10 million next year, which for a starting pitcher who you can get 200 innings out of is, is fine. That's not a big number. Um, I think that's a guy that makes a lot of sense for them that they would bring in. So in terms of what would they give up for that? I actually, I started looking into this and you know, there, you can calculate kind of future value and things like this. So I actually stumbled onto a site I haven't used before called baseball trade values.com. Um, and I looked a little through their methodology. It looks pretty solid. Um, looked at kind of their, their results and thought, yeah, this, this looks good enough for me to kind of give me an idea on this. Cause I wanted to come up with some a- actual names. So um, looking at sort of where they value a guy like Mike Miner and looking at who could come out of the Cardinals system for that. Similarly, no top prospects. Cause I don't think the Cardinals would do that anyway. So I lined up Malcolm Nunez, uh, Trajan Fletcher and Cody Whitley were the three names that I lined up. And that sounds like a completely reasonable trade uh for me so you know malcolm nunez um 20 years old he moved from uh high a to double a this season real power bat potential he's still playing third base but i think he's probably going to end up at first base so that is a guy that i think could could very likely be moved out of the Cardinals system um you know because there's value there but whether it's at third base or first base there just doesn't you know not, not a lot of room for him up there um, you know, Trajan Fletcher is is only 20, obviously very high draft pick recently, superior athletic talent, but still incredibly raw, incredibly raw, just barely out of like the complex league at this point. Um, I, to me, that's a guy, you know, and maybe they see still see great potential there and they absolutely don't trade him. But, you know, if the, if they feel like the, he's developing slowly, that's a guy that you maybe move now while you get some value. And, you know, Cody Whitley is a you know fringe kind of MLB reliever right now. He's he's had a little bit of time in MLB. He's 26 years old, um, you know. So um, and again, I, I use this tool here just to kind of balance that. That seemed relatively accurate to me. And and so I wanted to throw those guys out. Those seemed like some names um, to me. Um, so, Ben, just thinking about guys, they would trade away. You know, we've heard that they won't you know, they're not going to trade top prospects. Where do you think that line is drawn? Like where where who do you think is the best guy in this system that they they might trade? Um. I think you're not going to see any of the high ceiling guys traded. Um, And so I, you know, you mentioned Fletcher. I would be very surprised if they traded him because he's going to get time with Okendo. He's going to, you know, he's going to get kind of the full court press of development opportunities there. Um, And, yeah, it's my, my, tough my only to thought, say. I, I agree with you. My only thought with Fletcher is, I believe this is his third pro season now. And, yeah. And granted, he was very young. He was like 17 when he was drafted. We had a year of COVID, but th- that's still looking like slow development to me. It, yeah, and it's tough to say. It, they took to a say. weird approach after 2020, and you don't know who rubbed them the wrong way or who they feel has the in the organization's viewpoint whose stock has gone way down due to that kind of break in contact. And so like I, I would be surprised if even a Herrera was traded, I would be shocked if Gorman or Liberator, I mean, they're not going anywhere. Um, And and I feel like Jordan Walker has moved himself into that category as well. He's not being traded, but when I don't think is going anywhere either. I don't, I I don't think he is, but like when to me, that's the, that's the name where if they go a little bigger than we think they're going to on a move, I think like a win or a tink hence or kind of, you know, sort of in that, uh, you know, in in that kind of uh, caliber there. Um, that to me starts to feel like, well, maybe this is, you know, this is somebody that they let go again in the event that they go after somebody who would be maybe more of like, um, uh, you know, a, a more of like a number three type starter or a guy who this guy's now our second baseman, like, um, that kind of, that kind of yeah. move. So, 
I think it's interesting, you know, obviously the, uh, the duality that these things are usually put into is, are they buyers or sellers? And um, it's always a little more complicated with the Cardinals, but I think both the moves that you and I put together, if you had to label them, you'd still have to label them buyer moves. So uh, then yes, I, those they're they're definitely buyer moves. I I totally agree with that. And, and obviously, I I agree with you because I I predicted a similar kind of move. But I want to hear from you, Ben. Why why would a team that's below five hundred and like eight and a half games out of first place in its division consider themselves a buyer? What what madness is that? Well, I. I think they should trade Alex Reyes. So I think they need to do a mix like they did in 2000, similar to what they did in 2018, mm-hmm. um, where for whatever reason, they got rid of Tommy Pham, uh, which very well may have cost them a postseason berth. Uh, that trade, it brought in Justin Williams uh, and Genesis Cabrera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was, to me, a seller move. Um, that didn't make a heck of a lot of sense. Uh, and so uh, this team, the reason that it would do that is that they believe that if they can uh, get Flaherty back and Michaelis back with the pieces that they have added, that they can make a run and over the, the final two months and maybe catch the Brewers. And, you know, I think the Brewers are probably a, a pitcher injury away from being catchable. Mm-hmm. And in this season, 2021, as the season goes on, you have to think that as the innings pitch totals grow, you're going to continue to see the record number of injured list uh, candidates or designees grow even more. I'm also, highly, so, I'm, I'm also highly suspicious of uh, the Brewers starters being sticky stuff guys. I just, there's, Oh yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's a lot of guys who were a few years into their careers and kind of seemed to be on one path that all at the same time really, really, you know, took a jump ahead. Maybe they just have a really good pitching coach. Maybe that's what, what it is. But, but um, I also have some stuff. I also, I feel like the, you know, the brewers were, I, I'm pretty sure they were using video during Christian Yelich's like giant blow up seasons. I don't know if a garbage can was being banged, but I think there was something going on there. I have no evidence for any of this. I'm just, I'm just lobbing allegations here. I think the Brewers are <laughs> dirty cheats and liars. They do have a lot of like, uh, you know, MVP slash Cy Young level jumps, don't they? Yeah. Um, There's that scene in Eight Men Out when the two sports writers kind of say to each other in the booth, you make a note next to any play that looks suspicious to you and I'll make a note next to one that looks suspicious to me and we'll compare notes. Uh, what I'm saying, Ben, is if I had been making notes next to things that look suspicious over the last few years, there would be a number of notes next to the Brewers, and and that very well could be. I and but I think it's just more on the injury front, and also, yeah. you know, I just don't know if the Brewers are this good. Yeah, um, well, and I don't yeah. think that the Cardinals are this bad if you make additions and you get those players back. And, and if they have reason to be optimistic about those players, you're, you're really like a starter and a left-handed hitting outfielder away from maybe making a run. Right. You know, right. like. And, and and let's keep in mind what, what making a run means, because I think as fans, sometimes we think, well, making a run means you win the division and you go to the playoffs and you win the World Series. I think to Bill DeWitt, who, uh, again, just as a reminder, was the winner of the uh, Hunter S. Thompson, the Edge Award earlier tonight. To him, I think staying competitive through the rest of the season is really what they want to do. And I agree with you. I don't think they're that far off from doing well enough in the second half that they stay in the conversation. Um, and so I very much expect those kind of moves. Um, but I am interested that you know, you're know you still um, thinking that there might be some selling as well. We talked about trading Reyes last week. Um, I still think, to me, Cabrera is the name that I think I see them more likely to trade for or not sorry not Cabrera although Cabrera they could certainly trade as well Gallegos is what I meant to say um as I said on our last show uh I think trading I think if anyone thinks you have a reliever who's valuable you should trade them and I could absolutely see that happen I could see them do the kind of moves that you and I proposed while at the same time if somebody comes to them with an offer for say Gallegos that's gonna you know restock some of the kind of double a high a talent that I just suggested they ship off for Mike Miner 
I could absolutely see them doing both of those things. And I could see uh, Cardinals Twitter's brain just collectively exploding at the the nonsense of it. But again, I think if you kind of understand the way that this ownership group thinks and what they're trying to accomplish, I think those kind of moves would make a lot of sense. And also the way that Mosellock seems to approach relievers. I mean, I could also see them getting like a low walk Edward Mujica type um, to help bridge the gap to the seventh. Um, You know, and those types of relievers are generally uh, much cheaper than your high end ones. Um, You know, nothing eye popping about the strikeout rate or anything like that, but they just don't walk batters and make you beat them. And those types of relievers have value. So um, especially if, if you're trying to bridge the gap between your rotation and the bullpen. Uh, but with the injury to Martinez and the question marks of Flaherty and Michaelis, even if you're getting positive reports about one or both of Flaherty and Michaelis, I think you have to look at adding a pitcher. And, and one of the big reasons is so you don't run other pitchers ragged yeah. Uh, with their innings loads and potentially injure them. Like, I think that's even a 2022 move because yeah. you're, you know, you need innings. Yeah. And, you know, I, I read an article a little while back where a front office person was uh, quoted anonymously saying they have not had as many injuries, but they are not trading anyone to teams that have lost depth because the injuries aren't just at major league. They're all at the major league level. They're also in the minors. And so in the high minors in particular, a bunch of teams are looking for innings. Yeah. That's a great point. And, and this front office guy or, or woman said that, uh, you know, we are not trading pitchers because we think we'll probably have injuries too and we have to get through the season. And so yeah. I think that's another fascinating dynamic because right. I thought about putting a proposal together to trade Kim, but then I was looking at this team and I was like, if you trade Kim, what on earth do you do? Forfeit. You know, you're, yeah, yeah <laughs> like it's, how do you cover nine innings a night? Yeah. And I don't know if they can. Okay. So it's, you know, that's the other side of it as well. They are very thin uh, in terms of covering their innings pitch load. And, you know, they need to bring someone in to help them cover it. Yeah. And so uh, I think that is as much about being competitive in 2021 as it is in 2022, because their whole philosophy, and it's well documented in the media, was to limit the innings pitch load for these pitchers. Now, some of them have had that happen because they've gotten hurt. They haven't thrown as much as a result, but others have had to fill in the void. And you look at like a John Gant. I mean, they clearly are approaching John Gant in a far different way than they are approaching a Jack Flaherty um, or even a, a Kim or an Adam Wainwright. Well, it's it's always it's it's always fascinating where they draw those lines. And you know, you take a guy like like Libertor, who you know is is you know being handled you know with absolute and utmost delicacy. Uh, and then at the same time, you look at Johan Oviedo, you know, who's a very promising young pitcher too. Doesn't quite have the the ceiling. It wouldn't seem as Libertor, but they're not far out of the same conversation. You know, and and I mean, Oviedo, they, you know, they literally they buy him a Greyhound bus ticket, you know, back and forth. And he, you know, I mean, he's he's just there all the time. Um, And so it's it is always kind of funny where they draw those lines. But um, I guess kind of in summary, I think we're we're sort of on the same page as we look ahead. And we think that there are acquisitions to come that they're going to look to, you know, um, you know, improve where they can enough so to, you know, to stay competitive and kind of protect the guys they have. So um, it'll be interesting. I guess we'll see how that, how that plays out. Um, anything else for the second half or you want to uh, go ahead and move on to our recommendations? Uh, we can move on to our uh, recommendations. Yeah. So um, I'm going to jump in and go first here. My off day recommendation and Ben, stop me if you already recommended this because someone recommended this article to me and I don't think it was you, but if it was, it's it's just not going to make for good uh, good podcasting right here. Uh, this is the Eno Saris article, uh, They Say You're Done, How the Giants Are Coaching Brandon Crawford and Other Vets to New Heights. Was that one of your recommendations? Uh, not on this podcast, but I would second your recommendation. It's a very, very good article. 
Yeah, and this article, I think it's a couple weeks old now, um, but I, I highly recommend going back and checking it out. And um, I guess this is probably at least the second or third Eno Saris article I think that's been recommended on here as well. <laughs> so um, we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're Eno Saris stands here. But um, as a lot of his articles are, just really great in-depth um, piece of reporting, um, kind of illuminating something new and interesting that's going on in the game that maybe you hadn't seen before or hadn't thought about in this way. So as the title suggests, it's basically... Basically, it's about how are the Giants good this year? Because the Giants, no one expected the Giants to be good this year, and they didn't really add players. And it's, frankly, guys like Brandon Crawford who they're they're getting really great performances out of. And so what interested me about it is, you know, you think back to, you know, Moneyball and every kind of innovation since then that we've seen take hold in baseball. And, you know, it's always about kind of um, – finding that new market inefficiency. And so I think the the kind of uh, subhead here is basically, uh, you know, coach, coaching up old veterans who used to be good is the new market inefficiency. And so it's a fascinating article. It's as a piece of anecdotal evidence, the Giants seem like a great case for it. Um, one thing he mentions is that they, they have like by far the largest coaching staff of any team. So there's just a lot of coaches there. There's a specific focus on kind of working with some of these guys. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know, is this something real? Frankly, I expect the Giants to kind of crash in the second half. I'm not a real believer there, but um, it's but but maybe they won't. And it's always fascinating to see just a new innovation in baseball. It, it has always happened. It always will happen. And honestly, it's fun to you know, old players getting a second win is always a fun thing to see. So um, anyway, I would, I would recommend that, that article. Uh, my recommendation is from the uh, website formerly known as Sports Illustrated Magazine, uh, SI.com, uh, which is a shell of its former self. Um, but that being said, uh, Robert O'Connell wrote a really good article a few weeks ago, and it's called A Game of Speech, but also for baseball interpreters, so much more. And it's an article uh, sort of through the Otani prism about how important interpreters are to uh, players in the major leagues who do not speak English as a first language. Um, And I just thought it was really interesting and really well done. And it made me think of uh, Kim and, and what uh, he has to go through to pursue his uh, career and professional dreams as a major league baseball player, uh, as well as Otani. Um, and it, it brings to light some of the human aspects that I think uh, get lost in all of this, like what it's like to go to another country that speaks a different language and has a different culture um, and a different way of going about uh, the game that, that you are you have grown up playing. And so it's a very good article. It's on si.com. Um, and again, it's by uh, Robert O'Connell, a very good read. Um, and I think it's well worth your time. Excellent. Excellent. I have not read that one, so I will be sure to check it out. Well, uh, Ben, with that, I think we have brought our uh, all-star spectacular uh, to a close. It's been, it's been fun talking baseball with you the first half of the season. It, it has been a lot of fun. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. And uh, I would also like to add congratulations to our award winners. Uh, we'll see if they can uh, win some more awards at the end of the season, uh, if we choose to make any up and hand them out. <laughs> yes, to to be determined, to be determined. But uh, at any rate, uh, that is it for us today. So again, this is Cardinals Off Day. Um, you're listening to us, so you've probably found us in one of your uh, favorite podcast type places. You can also follow us on Substack at cardinalsoffday.substack.com. And until the next off day, uh, we'll see you then. Bye-bye.